Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Presidential Elections of American History. My name is Griffin Kernan, and today we will be discussing a rare and sad outcome that can be of an election, a stolen election, in which the true winner is either indeterminable or is wrongfully denied the presidency. While many argue that the years 2000 and 2020 were stolen elections for their own reasons, being indeterminability and false personal narratives about elections, respectively, there are two elections in American history where the outright winner was never inaugurated. Let's take a look at the most recent of these instances, the election of 1876. The 23rd presidential election took place on Tuesday, November 7, 1876, in all states except Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arizona, North and South Dakota, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Utah, Alaska, and Hawaii. Yeah, the United States wasn't exactly united yet. This is the first time that Colorado could vote in the presidential election, but since they had just become a state in 1877, the state legislature chose electors instead of the people choosing the electors. This would be the last time in U.S. history that any electors were chosen by the state legislature instead of the popular contest. So before this election, the last four years had not been kind to the outgrowing um, administration of Ulysses Grant. Numerous accounts of tabloid scandals surrounding misusage of government funds, continued military occupation of the South after the Civil War, and rumors of, of alcoholism on President Grant's part had stymied the Republican Party as a whole, who refused to nominate Grant for a third term despite the fact that he wanted to run for a third term. At the same time, the Panic of 1873 and the economic recession had caused unemployment to go up, and many blamed the Republicans for the failures of the economy there had been no better time in the last 20 or 30 years to be a Democrat. The Republican contest. The Republican primary was in, was in, was in a, the Republican Party as a whole was in a political wilderness. They were unsure of what they wanted to be after Grant left, and it was in some major trouble. The GOP needed a reset. At first, Hamilton Fish, Grant's Secretary of State, was nominated, but he later declined the nomination due to his advanced age, which he believed would be an impediment to being president. And so the Republicans had to hold a second convention. James Blaine, a congressman from Maine, was an early favorite, but couldn't win the primary due to a crowded field of, um, quite frankly, unremarkable Republicans who wanted to be president. The vote split in the delegates was so large that they couldn't, uh, they couldn't bridge the gap with just Blaine's votes alone. So the party bosses had to figure out who their candidate was going to be because Blaine did not win a popular contest. They settled on the moderate Rutherford B. Hayes, the governor of Ohio, as the nominee of the party, in order to keep the peace between the liberal, unionist, and free-soil old guard GOP and the pro-business and conservative new GOP. They chose the moderate New York representative William A. Wheeler as their vice presidential nominee on the very first ballot. The platform of the Republicans would be to continue the policies of the Grant administration and to further rebuild the war-torn South. The Democrat nomination, Samuel Tilden, was destined to be president. That's at least what many delegates of the Democrat convention figured by the time it rolled around. At the very first party convention west of the Mississippi River in St. Louis, Missouri, Governor Samuel Tilden of New York was nominated on the very first delegate ballot in a surprising display of unity by Democrats at the time. He had been a staunch opponent of the Johnson and Grant administrations 
had left on the opportunity to take back the White House for Democrats for the first time in over 20 years. It was said the Democratic Party hadn't rallied around a can single candidate so much since the creation of the party by Andrew Jackson himself 50 years ago at this point. This party unity caused strong sentiment and caused many people to see Democrats as a juggernaut in politics once again instead of a glorified opposition to the self-named radical Republicans of the age. Governor Thomas A. Hendricks of Indiana was chosen by unanimous vote as Tilden's running mate and the Democrats' vice presidential nominee. And there was a, a major third-party presence during this election, too. The Greenback Party was a thing back then. At this time, there was a major third party attempting to run for president. Many populists and farmers in 1874 came together to form a party in order to force the federal government to help farmers and poor rural people to by, by, incre by increasing inflation using paper money they called greenback currency. This would be a fiat currency, which is not tied to any material specifically, and would replace the gold standard in their party platform. By 1876, their, con their convention in Indianapolis um, was, was held, and they nominated businessman Peter Cooper from New York. Peter Cooper had been previously famous for inventing the steamboat as a young man with the Tom Thumb being the very first motorized boat. At the time of his candidacy, he was the oldest man to ever run for president at 83 years old, and still remains so today. He chose Ohio Congressman Samuel Fenton Carey, a former Republican, as his running mate. Their campaign had served as a two-for-one deal in which the two men pledged to extensively share responsibilities in office. Campaign issues. There wasn't a whole lot of campaign going on during this election. Before the election of 1900, it was rather uncommon to see candidates actually campaign for themselves. It was typically their surrogates and their um, organizers who did, the, who did the campaigning for them. Some people campaigned on behalf of their preferred candidate, but this election was really not dominated by so much of campaign issues as much as it was dominated by the regionalism left over between the North and the South from the Civil War and economic issues which Tilden surrogates campaigned on effectively in some northern regions like New York and New Jersey. Hayes was mainly in favor of keeping the same Grant-era policies and being friendlier to monopolies, trusts, and businesses while Tilden was staunchly for the removal of troops from the South and the rights of white farmers who he felt had been um, dis uh, disenfranchised by the um, business, business class who were notorious for their corruption and um, buying politicians back then. This is still the Gilded Age. Um, neither were really too friendly on expanding on civil rights for African Americans, but Tilden opposed the acquisition of territories outside of the United States like Alaska, which had been recently purchased. The Republicans, on the other hand, really felt like manifesting some more destiny until they ran out of some de destiny to manifest. This includes removing natives from their land and indoctrinating them to English culture. Tilden had the advantage mainly throughout the campaign because Hayes was relatively unknown outside of Ohio, and even then, many Ohioans thought he was a pretty meh, governor, so he'd probably be a very meh president in their minds. Unfortunately, the campaign tactics were not well known for being friendly. The Democrat strategy in the South revolved around um, buying out and um, bribing hate groups to, um, to, to use, their, um, use their violence and use their organizations to keep black people and Republicans from voting in the South, 
But the Republicans weren't much better. They used their um, established power in the South to block Democrat votes from being cast and tried to steal elections through the system. Both sides were going to major extremes to get their guy in the office, and another conflict, and possibly another civil war, seemed very likely due to all the rising tensions leading up to the election. It got so bad that President Grant had to fortify Washington, D.C. in case another um, insurrection were to occur. And the winner is... Nobody? That's what everyone thought for five solid months, from November all the way to March. At this time, there had been many flaws in counting the votes, especially in the South. States like Louisiana, South Carolina, and Florida, known for being staunchly Democrat, mysteriously went Republican without much context. It had been later figured out that ballots had been been incorrectly printed and made, with a good example being Florida, who used the likeness of Abraham Lincoln, which was used to uh, differentiate Republican and Democrat parties for um, illiterate people. They put his face on the Democrat ballot, so people voting for Republican candidates um, accidentally voted Democrat and vice versa. In other instances, um, there was intimidation by Ku Klux Klan members outside of polling sites to keep black people out, to keep them from voting. And... The states that which, um, had popularly voted Democrat, the Republican governors of Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina had sent Republican electors to Washington, D.C., despite the Democrat candidate winning the popular vote in all three of these states. This would be the last time in American history where the candidate who won the state contest would not receive electors from that state. In Oregon, there was some drama because they had three electoral votes. Two of them went to Democrats, but one of them was contested due to that congressional district voting Republican. The Supreme Court overruled um, that ruling and gave all three Democrat um, electors to Hayes uh, because the Supreme Court at the time was more Republican-friendly. Everyone was uh, in, in Congress was fighting over this, and, and they were trying to pass several bills at a time to make sure that either candidate won. It was absolute chaos. There were several motions, several counter motions. By the time the inauguration day rolled around, March 3rd, 1877, the Compromise of 1877 was reached. To try to avoid another civil war, the Republicans and Democrats got together at the Capitol, and, 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 at the, and late at night, both sides decided on a compromise. That compromise would be that despite the fact that Samuel Tilden won the popular vote, and looked likely to win the um, Electoral College vote if this kept going, they decided to make Rutherford B. Hayes of Ohio the next president of the United States with 185 electoral votes, which is what he needed to win back in 1876, on the condition that Republicans withdraw troops from the South and end Reconstruction permanently. This makes Rutherford B. Hayes the next president of the United States and Uh, William Wheeler, the next vice president of the United States. This election is mainly known not for the candidates themselves, but for the drastic repercussions on civil rights this election had. Because this election, Jim Crow laws were able to be enacted across the South and would keep black people from holding political power in significant amounts for the next 100 years. Okay, so that was a more dark election than usual, but... This can serve as a real lesson to show how elections matter and how we act after elections also matter. 
Thank you for coming in and listening to my podcast and stay tuned for the next presidential election.